You are listening to a podcast from Providence Reformed Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to more of our sermons, please visit our website at providencewi.org. Luke chapter 2 is, is this very familiar text that records the things that happen surrounding the incarnation of Jesus, I should say the birth of Jesus. Luke 2, 1. Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold... I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. So if if someone were to put you on the spot, give you a piece of paper and a pen and say, I'm giving you 30 seconds, write out a definition of peace. You might have a hard time and it might, people don't normally do that to you, right? So you you might have a difficult uh, time at first, but in reality, you probably could draw up a, a, a quick definition of peace and it might have words like war in it. It might have violent words in it because we don't really understand peace. Kind of like we talked about last week. You don't really understand hope unless you've known despair. And you don't really understand peace unless you know conflict. That's why, yes, the peace of God was presence, present in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. But they had been so immersed in peace that they really didn't understand until all of a sudden there's conflict and they're blaming each other and blaming the serpent. When you look at peace, the backdrop for peace is conflict. So I'll give you an example. How, what is the best motivation for loving other people? And for a Christian, we would say, not only has God commanded us to love other people, but it's the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. The first one is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And so that command to love other people is directly related, believers, to my view of God. If I have a high view of God, I'm going to have a high view of the people created in, in his image. And, and so the more I love God, the less a cynic and an angry person I am and getting angry at people who sin differently than I do. It's the same way with peace. Your ability to deal with conflict 
peace with other people. And that's not first what this text is talking about. Your ability to deal with conflict with other people is directly connected to your relationship with God. When I have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, my treatment of others, my ability to get along with others as much as is in me is going to spring from that. I say that not only so we have an illustration or a definition of what peace is, but because part of the prophecy of the coming of Messiah came in the middle of the reign of a man who was not a man of peace, Ahaz. Ahaz was, Ahaz was a conflict with authorities in his own life. He was in conflict with nations around him. And that all sprung from the fact that he didn't have peace with God. Ahaz was one of those people for whom truth wasn't enough. The, the great teaching he had growing up from his father and from Isaiah just wasn't enough. He was the son of the godly king Jotham. He was the grandson of the godly king Uzziah. And he was the father of a godly king of Judah. Those of you Wednesday night people were making a distinction here. There was northern Israel and then Judah. This is a king of Judah, one of the sons of David. And his boy was Hezekiah. If you know a little bit about Old Testament history, you realize he was surrounded by people who followed God's law as kings. And one, of the, one part of the law of kings was not that they not only that they weren't to collect a bunch of wives and that they weren't to to pour themselves into building a, a big military and to get lots of horses, they were to make, by the command of God, their own copy of the scriptures. They were to hand write the Hebrew scriptures and they were to read it and med meditate it on on that every day. We don't know if Ahaz did that, but I'm guessing at least his father forced him to to write this down. He received instruction from not only the prophet Isaiah, but as a king, he got warnings from the prophet Hosea. He got warnings from the prophet Micah. This is the representative of David. This is David's many generations later grandson. Even if Ahaz didn't follow the scriptures in his older years, his dad would have insisted on this practice because he was a co-regent with his dad, meaning as his dad got on in years, he began taking more and more power so that when his father, Jotham, died, Ahaz was already in power. He took the throne at his father's side when he was 16, and he ruled by himself when he was 20 after his dad died. So I'll give you a little bit more background. I want to give you more than you can actually use here because this lays the backdrop for what we just read in chapter 8 that might have seemed a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit of an obscure text. When, when Ahaz was reigning, there was a, a king in Israel, the northern tribes, the breakaway tribes. His name was Pekah. And constant war between Ahaz and Pekah. Syria to the northeast had a king named Rezin. Rezin threatened, to, Jeru threatened to, Jeru to, to come in to Jerusalem and, and take their wealth. He was unsuccessful in that. So the Arameans, the northern tribes of Israel, were completely at odds with Ahaz constantly. There was actually one point at which there were 200,000 captives from Judah in the custody of Pekah, the king of Israel, 
But a prophet of the Lord convinced the elders to persuade the army to return the captives. That was, that was the kind of day it was. And so if we were living in a land, and thankfully we don't, we hear little threats from North Korea that they've got weapons that can reach here. We really don't know what it would be like to wonder if we're the next city to go down to a military leader who is brutal and who takes people captive. We, we just don't understand what these people were going through as a result of the judgment of God that was coming on the king of Judah named Ahaz. I will say something positive about him. And that is he was very brilliant. Intelligence, by the way, is overrated, parents. Don't, don't make that your goal to have your kids be smart or look smart first and foremost. Isn't it a temptation to want them to be smart before they're good, before they follow Jesus? And Ahaz was brilliant. He was a designer. He engaged in a lot of construction projects. He oversaw the rebuilding of an altar and some steps and molten image, uh, all, all in the name of reform. He wanted things to be changed, and that's not used the way we have that word on our church sign. He wanted change for the sake of change. But Ahaz had what, what in our world we would call a, a run of bad luck. Times got really tough in Judah. It may have seemed to Ahaz that everything was against him. It's like, boy, this, this is really bad. And he probably would have said something like, this is just bad luck. Everything's against me. But what was happening in reality is that he was beginning to reap the consequences of abandoning the true king. Isn't it true that sometimes we're being whipped with cords of our own making? This man had abandoned the Lord, and the Lord was keeping his promise, just like he did to Adam and Eve. There will be consequences. There will be no peace. You can talk about peace all you want, but there will be no peace unless you're right with God. And that's the problem with Ahaz. In a series of sad events, I'll rattle some of them off for you. Rezin, that's the king of the Arameans. Rezin and the Arameans fought Ahaz. They took a whole bunch of captives to Damascus. Rezin and the Arameans captured the strategic seaport of Elot uh, from Judah. So that, that, would be, that would be like closing off a lot of our major seaports. It just cuts off all, all trade and ability to get a military anywhere. Pekah in Israel, with his army, defeated the elite army of Judah. They killed 120,000 soldiers who were serving under Ahaz, including the son of Ahaz. They plundered their goods. They took, as I mentioned a moment ago, they took captive 200,000 dependents of, of the people who were slain. So the 120,000 men had 200,000 wives and children who were hauled away. The Edomites, and by the way, these are all coming from Scripture. This is not extra biblical information. These, these all are re recorded in Scripture. The Edomites from the east side of the Dead Sea carried away Judean captives. The Philistines from the west raided and occupied the southwestern towns of Judah and took them back. It's like, well, we used to have these, so we want them back. And the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz. And so rather than turning to the living God saying, my life is a mess, I have constant conflict, and it's all my fault. I want to be at peace with you. He didn't do that. 
Instead, he looked around and he saw, you know what? The most powerful king in the world is Tiglath-Pileser III. Tiglath-Pileser is my shepherd. I shall not want. He has it all. He can provide for us. He'll, he'll protect us. He'll, he'll be our, our jingling belt in the night. We want him near so we can have peace. I will say that the scriptures tell us the cause of the bad luck. He sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Therefore, the Lord his God gave him into the hand of the king of Syria. And later in that same chapter in 2 Chronicles, the Lord humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. Ahaz ran to, for help to everyone but God, and he reaped the, the conflict consequences. There was no peace. He turned to human solutions, sent to the kings of Assyria for help. He took possessions that belonged to God, and he gave them to God's enemies. You really think Tiglath-Pileser was going to come in and say, yeah, you know, we're friends, I'll take care of you. He backed his wagons up to the gates of Jerusalem and, and stripped everything he could that was of value and took it away. Ahaz turned to rival deities. He took the adoration and trust that belonged to God, and he gave it to other gods. Second Chronicles 28 says, In the time of his distress, the same king Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to the Lord, if that were possible. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, Because the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I'll sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him in all Israel. And, you know, the Bible records several times when God brought harsh judgment on people who were sincerely worshiping. Why would God bring judgment on people who were sincerely worshiping? In fact, some of them sincerely claiming to worship him. For instance, the sons of Korah in Numbers chapter 16 said, well, we want to worship Yahweh, the living God, too. Why can't we be priests? And so the sons of Korah decided that they would enter the priesthood themselves, and God sent fire out, out from the altar. Nadab and Abihu, or Nadav and Avihu, depending on how you want to pronounce that, in Leviticus chapter 10, did something very similar, except they were the authorized priests, but they brought strange fire they, they decided that they could worship God the way they wanted as long as they were approaching him. And they went into the presence of God and the presence of God, rather than bringing peace, brought judgment to them. And then there's the grandfather of Ahaz, who for 50 years served faithfully and decided at the end of his life that he wanted something more than he had as king. And he entered into the role of priest and became a leper until the time of his death. Let me say this, in talking about Ahaz, and, and you might know someone who's like Ahaz, you might even have some similar characteristics to Ahaz, there can be no question but that Ahaz was a sincere worshiper. This was no atheist. Ahaz was a man who knew there was something outside of himself. He knew there was a place to run. 
Ahaz was a worshiper, and, and like the people that Paul encountered in Athens, if you've ever read Acts chapter 17, just like those people, Ahaz made sure that all of his bases were covered. He was a deeply spiritual man. Have you ever heard people say, well, I'm not very religious, but I am deeply spiritual. That was Ahaz. That was Ahaz. He was deeply spiritual. And it was his deep spirituality that brought him down, ultimately, that caused the lack of peace throughout the land. He offered some of his own children to the Canaanite god Moloch. He actively worshipped whatever gods he could find. He offered sacrifices to the living God in unauthorized places, on the high places. He sought refuge in the most powerful earthly rulers. He replaced the altar that God had designed with the one that he found in Damascus. It's like, let's bring a little life into the church. And so he went to the world for, the, for their solutions and worship, and he brought that right into the holy place. In fact, he remodeled the temple because of the king of Assyria. He shut down, eventually, the worship of the living God in Jerusalem. You and I are not neutral in our worship, are we? We are going to pursue something. We were wired for delight and worship. We're going to find it somewhere. And when we run the wrong direction, we're going to find no peace. And so we start in again to portions of Isaiah chapter 8. Ahaz thought that Tiglath-Pileser III would be a suitable deliverer from his fears. And, I mean, that king's efforts actually wound up working. When, when Rezin, the king of the Arameans, and Pekah, the king of Israel, saw that, that there was an alliance, it's like, boy, we're not going to mess with him anymore. And Ahaz is probably saying, see, it worked. It secured the way for Ahaz to travel safely up to Damascus. But Tiglath-Pileser III turned out to be a substitute Messiah. And he turned out to be another cause of the fear for Ahaz. All of our substitutes wind up becoming our masters. And you can't serve two of those. So Isaiah says, Then the Lord said to me, Take for yourself a large tablet and write on it in ordinary letters, Swift is the booty, speedy is the prey. And later on you see this name of Isaiah's child, Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. It's a good name for a cat. This was a prophecy that things were going to go wrong. Things were going south quickly. Tiglath-Pileser was going south quickly. And, and one by one, places were fallen, falling, cities were falling. I'll read for you a portion of this text then. Verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 8. Again, the Lord spoke to me further, saying, Inasmuch as these people have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloah, and rejoice in Rezin, that's the Aramean king, uh, and the son of Remaliah, that's Pekah, he doesn't even call him by name, now, therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them strong, the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates. You know what that means? They're going to get to travel. The Arameans are going to get to go on a vacation across the desert. They're going to get to see. They're going to get to bathe in the Euphrates. Israel is going to be hauled away into captivity. And, and that's exactly what happened. 
they were hauled away. And the text says, even the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise up over all its channels and go over all its banks. If you can picture a wave coming through the land, that is what the Aramean, or rather the Assyrian army was. It swept through and hauled away the northern tribes in Israel, and it swept right down, and it says it came up to the neck. See, the head is the house of David. God brought down everyone around them, and, and because of his covenant to David, he preserved the house of David, even though the head at that point in time was represented by Ahaz. Verse 8 again, it will sweep in on into Judah, it will overflow and pass through, it will reach even to the neck, and the spread of its wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Because the, the previous chapter, Isaiah chapter 7, God spoke through Isaiah to this king, speaking of where peace would come from. He said it would come from Emmanuel. The spread of its wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Be broken, O peoples, and be shattered, and give ear all remote places of the earth. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. And he repeats it. Gird yourselves, yet be shattered. Devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Isaiah is saying, do you know why you've not been destroyed because this is Emmanuel's land. This is mine. Your name means possessor, but you are my possession. There are some applications we're going to make, but some questions to ask first. Because if you say, well, I'm not like Ahaz, because I don't bow down and worship false idols, and, and I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ever do that. But we find out what is the altar at which we worship, not just by the doctrinal statement we can sign, not by what a massive theological knowledge we have, how many answers that we can give if we were given a quiz. When you look at the life of this man Isaiah, there's a reason we know he had no peace. For instance, you ask this question, what do you fear? What do you fear the very most? I, I've realized at different times in my life that, that a lot of the sins in my life spring from being afraid. Being afraid to, to be bold for the Lord Jesus. Being, being afraid to, to enter into a, a conflict when conflict becomes necessary. There was no peace for Ahaz because of what he feared. Uh, Ahaz, and for that matter, the people of Judah... They feared national crises. It's like, this is the worst thing that could happen to us, is that economically we'd be going downhill. And that's the, it's the economy, stupid. It's everything. If we don't have a good economy, what was it? Why even go on living? Ahaz and Judah feared the, the political crises, the economic crises, and certainly military crises. But the living God says, fear me. That was the message from Isaiah to Ahaz. Fear me, I have a strong arm, and I am the Holy One. You really going to fear everyone around you, Ahaz? There's something more. We find out the altar at which we worship when they answer that question, what do you fear? And the next one, certainly close to this, where do you run? I mean, the bottom line is Ahaz and the people of Judah we're tired of Yahweh. 
They'd heard the same thing over and over and over again. Line upon line, precept upon precept. There's, when you read Isaiah, you, you find out that Ahaz was just kind of mocking the things he had grown up with. That sound familiar? Can, you, can, you can get to the place where it's like, well, we kind of have this, we sing these songs I've learned since I was a little kid, and, and we're sitting in a class, a Bible class, and we're just not interested. It's like, eh, I don't get anything out of it anyway. Is it possible that the problem is my heart and not the message? That's where Ahaz was. He was a spoiled brat kid. He, we might say he grew up born again. He grew up in, in, in the church. He learned all the right answers. And he was like, there's got to be something more than this. And so he sought refuge elsewhere. But the message of the prophet to him is that Yahweh would be to him a stone, a rock, a trap, and a snare. And when you're not on his side, you don't want the Lord to be to you a stone, a rock, a trap, and a snare. The text we read says that, that the Lord, Yahweh, would cause them to stumble and fall and be broken and snared and captured. See, that's why you don't want him to be a stone, a rock, a trap, and a snare. Because when that happens, then you stumble and you fall and you're broken and you're snared and you're captured and you're hauled away. Here's what the Lord says. I am a sanctuary run to me. All the sanctuaries we have in our lives, it may be, my music is just my sanctuary. My room, I go in my room, that's my sanctuary. It's my happy place. My car, I, I can't get away from anybody except in my car. We have all of these places we run, these people to whom we run. It's like, if I can just be around this person, everything's good. If I can get all of these things in order, there's my sanctuary. I can have this. Sometimes even our children, our family can become our sanctuary. And while it's a sweet thing to have a strong family, you're running the wrong place if your sanctuary is based on people because they will always disappoint you. That is what Ahaz learned. The Lord says, I'm your sanctuary. You, you run to me. Your source of authority. Simply put, Ahaz and the people of Judah rejected the teaching of God's word. They rejected the teaching of the law. But the revelation that God gave was worthy of exclusive attention. One more, again, closely related. These are all connected. To whom do you listen? Who's your, your authority in your life? Ahaz and Judah listened to false prophets. Isaiah kind of mocked them and moved along by the Spirit. But he, talk, he described them as whispering and muttering. He described them as those who consulted the dead. He described them as those who did not speak according to the law. And he said that it ends in darkness and despair. Let me give you the good news in all this. I'd like you to go to the end of Isaiah chapter 8. As Isaiah describes the problem. I read for you this text where, where the shepherds have seen this glorious sight in the sky and there are angels singing and worshiping glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Some of your Bibles say goodwill toward men. A better translation is peace to men on whom God's favor rests. 
Isaiah chapter 8, verse 16, or verse 19, rather. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They're in the dark, the scripture says. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished. It will turn out that when they're hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. There's an unfortunate chapter division here. Not suggesting we erase chapter divisions, but, but the thought continues. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Galilee of the Gentiles? Why is that coming into the story? It's 700 B.C. Isaiah, what are you talking about? You're rambling again. As Ahaz listens, Isaiah had said, Ahaz, they're going to look up and curse the king, but don't you think you're going to escape their discontent? They're going to look at you and say that you're the problem as well. And you've been listening to the wrong, dark message. Here it is. Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. The rod of their oppressor is at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for fire. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Could I summarize? Even though Isaiah didn't know his name, we would say Isaiah is preaching and he says, King Ahaz, you're messed up. You need Jesus. You need peace. You've been running all the wrong directions, fearing all the wrong people, listening to the wrong voices. Friends, you worship what you fear the most. You worship what or whom you think will protect you. You worship what you find most trustworthy. You worship what best holds your attention. Let's pray. Our Father, we beg you to to call us to attention this day, to bring us to bow the knee to the King, make our our time, even with the children's program, more than just uh, enjoying the, the cute kids uh, singing nice songs. Sure us to see that there's a reason behind the, the celebration we we have in our, our singing as a congregation and our singing with the children and our dramatic production with the teens 
So turn our attention where it needs to be. Bring us to fear you, to trust you as our protection and our peace, to find you satisfying and trustworthy. Bring us to give you our undivided attention. And if there are some hearing these words who have no peace with you, bring them to faith in Jesus. Turn them from their sins and show them there's hope because Jesus died for sinners and rose again. In his name we pray. Sing like